please open your Bibles to the letter to the Corinthians, the first letter to the Corinthians, Corinthians chapter 12, 12 yep, chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're looking at verses 1 through 3. This is actually uh, the fifth message on this, the testing of the spirituals. Uh, my conclusion is I have three points and I should have six sermons. Sounds perfect. It's like that new math, isn't it? But I would tell you, this is an urgent text. This is a very important text. Um, he states it here and he says, I don't want you to be unaware. I don't want you to not know what's going on. I don't want you to be ignorant about this. You need to be aware of this. Okay? So let's read these first three verses and then um, dive in. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Father, we come to you to ask you to teach us. Father, we do not want to be unaware. Father, we do want to work in the abilities of your Spirit and your Spirit alone. Father, your church is struggling. Father, help her to hear. Father, help her to bow. Help her to understand the penalty that was paid to purchase her so that she may be what you have called her out in this world to be. And we ask, Lord, that even now you teach us. Help us to see. In Christ's name, amen. I don't want you to be unaware. There's three things that I've listed out here. The importance of testing the spirituals, the source of the spirituals, and the test of the spirituals. If you were to take any of these three messages or these four messages, you will find that all three of those topics are dealt with in the course of those sermons, but yet each of them can stand by itself, and yet each of them you have to have all together. Why? This is crucial. Spiritual gifts are dealt with from chapter 12 through chapter 14. Chapter 12 is the theology that is behind it. Chapter 13 is that the love that must empower it. And chapter 14 is the abuses that take place. And that's what we've been dealing with. Here he says, if you look at your text, you'll see now concerning spiritual gifts. Gifts should be italicized. It's been added. It comes out of chapter 1, verse 17. But don't worry about it because it is a gift. It is an endowment. It is, it is a treasure that has been given to the body of Christ for the ministering of the saints, for the work of strengthening us so that we can serve. It's supernatural uh, enabling. And he says, I don't want you to be unaware about it. So it is important. If the body of Christ is to be what she's supposed to be, then we need to understand what spiritual gifts are, how they are empowered, how to test for the frauds, all right, but also how to bow to it to allow them to be the source of our energy, to be the source of our abilities. Verse 2 says, now when you were pagans, Okay, uh, it's ethnos. It's the word that we get. Um, it's used in a general sense to speak of those who are non-Jews. It's used in a specific sense to speak of non-believers. 
So when you were a non-believer, it says you were led astray to mute idols, dumb idols, idols that can't give you any answers. Okay, I can go to the idol and ask it, how should I marry this person? Should I go to this school? Should I do this job? But the idol can't give you an answer. And he says, but the led astray means that you were taken in chains. You were carried away to wherever. You had no choice in it. You were drug away. He makes this statement there at the end of verse 2, however you were led. It was just like whatever it decided to drag you around, that's how you got drug around. You used to worship in a way that the pagans worship. You used to worship in ecstasy. You used to worship in enthusiasm, in a frenzied state. But you had no ability over that. You were chained. You were a prisoner. You were a victim. And now Paul is saying to the church in Corinth, you've brought those old things into the church. They were trying to join. They were trying to marry the wisdom and philosophy of man with the wisdom of God. We've already seen that. Natural man cannot understand the things of God. Why? The cross is foolishness. They were trying to marry experience in. If it was an experience, then it must have been of God, correct? It was supernatural. It's, it, this person acted in a way that I'd never seen them act. So it there must have been of God. Everything was going on in the worship and they couldn't tell what was of God and what was of Satan. How can that happen? They were, it had gotten so chaotic that they mistook the work of Satan as the work of the Spirit of God. How could it possibly get that way? Very simple. Very simple. Paul's showing you and I that to truly spiritual people, okay, what you would look at as spiritually mature people, are not marked by being carried away or being led away in a frenzy, in enthusiasm. Those are not spiritual people. Paul even says that that is a characteristic of your former life. Now think about that for a second. Is that not true? Is that not true? I wasn't going to use a a football illustration, but one just came to mind. Have you seen this week? I mean, you know, I like football and I'm kind of a fan. Get over it. Let's, can we play the game on Thursday? Why? So you guys will shut up. I know more facts now than I ever wanted to know. Okay? And, it, and, it, and it's, everybody's got a, a thing. What, what is it? There's enthusiasm. I heard a doctor was offering a vasectomy for tickets. And I'm trying to figure out who's nuts in that group. The doctor or the person who said, here, take my tickets. But there is enthusiasm in it. What does our society push? It's enthusiastic, isn't it? And that's just one source, but there's other things that we get in... Whoa, about, right? Things that excite us. Correct? Do you use that to test your spiritual maturity? 
Here's a better question. Do you use that and bring it into the church as a test to spiritual movement? Okay? 15 years ago, 10 or 15 years ago, if you were to run into a person who was just coming out of a church and you would ask them, did you worship? And if their response was yes, what would, if you asked them, how do you know you worshiped? What would they tell you? How does a person today, let me ask you a question. This is specific to you. How do you know today whether you worshiped or not? Okay. Jesus telling the lady at the well, the time is coming when men will worship in spirit and truth. And I tell you that even now, time is now. Okay. The spirit and truth. Here's the problem. Can you worship without truth and a whole bunch of spirit? Okay. Here's the other problem that we run into. The spirit that he describes at the woman in the well is an enthusiasm. It is definite article. The Holy Spirit and in truth. But I see people today as the Corinthian church who believe that I can see enthusiasm. If I see a frenzied activity, then it must be of God. Paul says, verse 2, I don't want you to be a victim of your former way. I don't want you to be carried off in chains. I don't want you to be I don't want you to drag that stuff into the body of Christ because it adds chaos and confusion. The truly spiritual are not marked by being swept away in an emotional frenzy. Please understand that. And yet what is gripping the church today? If you ask a person today, did you worship? What will they tell you? Yes, how do you know? The music was what? Well, I've heard all kinds of descriptions. And don't get me wrong, I love music. I love music. Being out of control is never the Christian's use of his spiritual gift or her spiritual gift. Please understand that. I'm going to prove it to you and we'll go through this today. The Spirit of God does not operate the gifts of the Spirit when people are out of control. That's the point of verse 2. You were led astray. You were taken off and changed. However you were led. The enthusiasm does not mark spiritual maturity. Let me show you a text. A cool text. Okay, remember what I said. 12 through 14, right? Deals with spiritual gifts. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 14. Verse 15. Okay. First Corinthians 14, verse 15. What is the outcome? He's talking about the gift of languages, the gift of tongues. Okay. What is the outcome then? Here's what he says. Look what he says. I will pray with the spirit and I will pray what? With the mind also. Okay, I like the second part of this. I will sing with the Spirit. Some of us need to sing more with the Spirit. Okay, I'm one of those. 
If you hear me sing, you say, oh my Lord. And then if you hear the Spirit sing, it's better. All right. But look what he says about the singing even. Grab this. I will sing with the mind also. That is very key. Very key. I will sing with understanding. I will pray with understanding. My mind knows what's being said. My mind knows what's going on. It is fruitful to me. It's okay to sing in the power of the Holy Spirit as long as you understand with the mind. It's okay to pray in the power of the Holy Spirit as long as what? You have an understanding of the the mind. Okay? Uh, I had a dealings with a, a man, a young man. Bless his heart. I hope, hope we continue to see each other for a time. But his statement was this, that he's in youth ministry now. And he said he finally got his prayer language. And I said, uh, what is that? And he says, I now have the ability to pray in the spirit. And I said, well, that's cool. And I said, does your mind know what you are praying? And he says, no. And I said, then what do you do with 1 Corinthians 14, verse 15? And bless his heart. He broke out his little Bible and he looked it up and he said, I've never read that. Just a question. Just a question. Okay, drop down to verse uh, 33 of that chapter. Verse 33 makes this statement. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in what? So the church, I can get an implication here that the church is not a place of confusion and it is a place of peace, unity of all the saints. All right, drop down to the end of the chapter, verse 40. All things must be done properly and orderly. All right, you know what that says? There's no such thing as being out of control for Jesus. Okay, at all times, when the spirit is working, the mind will be engaged. The human mind will be engaged. Why? God created it. Okay, what happens is, and I see it today, uh, I see it in my study of the church in Corinth, is we have this mindset that says, if it's inside of the church, then it has to be of God regardless of what it may look like. Right? The Spirit of God does not operate the gifts in what I call a supernatural seizure. Okay? There's all kinds of terms that are used for it. Okay? I'm not here to condemn the terms, but I am here to say that the Spirit of God is not manifested through the power of the the gifts in an uncontrolled place. Not only that, if you go back to your text, chapter 12, verse 2, 
Paul says that reflects a pagan style of religion. I didn't say it. Paul says that that frenzied emotion, enthusiastic, out of control, is the way non-believers worship. That's what Paul said. I didn't say it. Okay? So what do you see in the church today? Listen, there are things that excite us, right? In there, I mean, there's things. Um, some of you, maybe your children. Um, when my children are gone, I'm excited. <laughs> okay, you know, I, you know, there's there's things that excite me. I remember I caught this great big honking fish, and I got so excited. I mean, I could see it from its nose to its was it the dorsal fin was this long. Okay, it had a tail out there too. I could just see it, and I'm like, and I already. I got so excited, I knew exactly where I was going to mount it at my house and my string broke. Okay, so the enthusiasm got me nowhere. Okay, I see people who go to church today and they want enthusiasm and it will get them nowhere. That's what the Apostle Paul is setting the stage here in chapter 12. Most people miss these three verses because they want to jump right into verse 4. There's a variety of gifts and the same spirit. What's the gifts? Okay? But they don't ever ask, well, what does it look like? Or how is it manifested? Or how do I test it? Or how do I know? All the spiritual gifts function in the full control and consciousness of the user. Okay, we have to be aware of that. The consciousness of the user should be understanding what is this being that is being done. I mean, I talked to this young man and he told me about this prayer language thing. And I just said, but what does your mind say? Oh, no. And I asked him, what do you do with this text? Okay, now, listen, you look at that and there's times I look around today. Okay, and and I see and I'll be honest with you, in my line of work, I see some bizarre stuff. And I've shared with you a couple of, uh, of the, the bazaars that I have seen. Okay, um, uh, I know the guy blew on the belly of some people and he was going to stir up the spirit and people were falling over. Uh, I seen a guy one time look like he was, to me, um, I used to be an EMT. It looked to me like he was having a seizure and they said that he was giving birth to new Christians. Uh, I have seen the barking in the spirit. Uh, I have seen uh, laughing in the spirit, uh, roaring in the spirit. And we would sit and say, yeah, it's kind of weird. Huh? Right? I mean, you know, before I got saved, I would lived a lifestyle that I was exposed to a lot of bizarre stuff. And I never seen that. Okay. And we were kind of looking for that. But anyway. All right. But let me show you this. How bizarre was it? Verse 3, no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed. Okay? How bold had the demons gotten in the church in Corinth? You know what that implication there is, don't you? Paul 
received a letter from the church in Corinth. Remember chapter 7, verse 1. I'm writing the things that I'm concerning you. And he says that somebody has jumped up in the congregation during the worship time. And the phrase is, Jesus is an anathema. And it was being accepted as the Spirit of God. Okay? Okay, in verse 3, he gives you a positive and a negative to test. We're going to spend a little time today on the negative, and next Sunday we'll look at the positive. All right, now let me ask you a question. Let's, let's look at that. All right, we've just seen that, and we sit there and go, okay. If somebody jumps up in the church today, here, and says, Jesus is an anathema. Okay, let me give it to you in the vernacular you can understand. Jesus is damned. Okay? Do you have to ask whether that is of the Spirit or not? That's, that's, not, that's not hard, is it? No, it doesn't. I mean, is it, the amazing thing is this. The church in Corinth couldn't discern it. They didn't know why it was happening in church. And what happens is the more abnormal that it was, then it must be more supernatural. And if it's more supernatural, then it has to be God. It's in the church. So, I mean, it wasn't like we were at the bar. Okay. It was in the church. So it's in the church. How could it not be the Spirit of God? This congregation was a little bit confused. You would have people who would stand up and say, I have a word of knowledge. You'd have people saying, I am ready to prophesy. You had people who were just making noise. You had people who were in some kind of language, speaking a foreign language. It would be like, like when I was preaching in Russia last spring, not having an interpreter. Okay, they'd all smiled and been very polite and had absolutely no idea what I just said. I mean, they had a bunch of people who stand up and sing. Hallelujah, hallelujah, and singing. And somebody would stand up and say, Jesus is an anathema. It must be about the Holy Spirit. Because see, they either had no ability or no desire to discern. How could anybody believe that? How could this happen? Well, I can give you a couple of things that will help you here a minute, all right? One, I believe that it was done by a professing Christian. Okay? I didn't say a possessing Christian. I said a professing Christian. Okay? Because... If it had been someone who was not taking the name Christian, who's going to listen anyway? All right. It was someone who believed or it may have been multiples who believed that they were indwelt by the spirit of God and were being submissive to the spirit of God. Okay. Which right there gives you an idea of the discernment that existed in the church in Corinth. But I would argue today the discernment isn't that much different. And I'll show you why here in a minute. 
How many do we assume to be Christians today and do they have the ability to discern? Okay, I mean, I had a lot of impact on when we took that break and I taught on the difference, what true Christians look like in the life of grace. I had a lot of people saying, you mean to tell me that you can? Yep. Actually, I can't. But the Bible does. You will know them. They're not hard to spot. The second thing I think that was happening in the church in Corinth was that there was a little of the carryover coming out of verse 2. This ecstatic stuff, this enthusiasm, this, wow, we're rocking and rolling for Jesus today. I mean, I remember going to a worship service one time that I felt like I was at a Jesus pep rally. Rah, rah, Jesus. And I mean, that's really what I felt like. And when I got done, I said, huh, (laughs) okay. I mean, I'm happy you're cheering him on. But when I got done, that's what it felt like. And then in that line, there couldn't be evil in it. It's the church. How could it be evil? Paul says, that ain't the Holy Spirit. (laughs) All right. People, if somebody stands up and says, Jesus is devoted to destruction, eh, that ain't a saved person. Holy Spirit ain't doing that. You don't have to worry about it. Just because it's in the church, Paul is saying, doesn't make it the Holy Spirit. Let me explain something. Satan spends a lot of time in the church. He likes the church. And just because somebody in the church is controlled by an outside force, don't assume it's God. Don't assume it's God. Listen, this church had a a key phrase that I believe focuses this church selfish there were people in the church who were drunk calling it worship there were people who were gluttonous there were people being led away i believe that part of this movement and i'll show you here in a minute but part of this movement i believe come from the jewish contention of the church the reason that i say that first and foremost the original language that you see there uh, it says Jesus is accursed is the word anathema. Okay, that is strictly a Jewish term. Okay, it was not used uh, by the Gentile world. And it literally means it's a Jewish word for the strong, their strongest sense of condemnation. And it literally means devoted to destruction. Um, why would they say this? I believe in the Jewish mindset. It comes from Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 23. That text says, cursed, anathema to anyone who hangs on a tree. Okay? Um, Today, as the time of the New Testament, the writing of the New Testament, the Jews cannot accept a crucified Messiah. That's the biggest single stumbling block that you will have if you share with a Jewish believer. Because their Bible says 
Cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. Devoted to destruction is anyone who hangs on a tree. And Messiah would never have that. Um, How important is that? In Acts chapter 26, verse 11, Paul used to run around arresting Christians. And he shares that there came a time that I was trying to get as many believers as I could to curse Jesus. To call Jesus anathema. Okay. Now, there's some silly stuff that goes on in the church today. There was some silly stuff going on in the church in Corinth. But I also believe that there was a teaching that was creeping in that you see throughout the New Testament. This letter to the Corinthian church is one of our first church letters, um, early church letters. And there was a, a, a teaching that was coming in and it was creeping around. And basically what it does is deny the deity of Christ. Okay, and the sufficiency of his salvation. Okay, basically what the teaching says, and you hear it today a lot. Okay, that Jesus was a man, and I agree, right? He's 100% man. But until he reached the Jordan River in the baptism of John the Baptist, that is when the Holy Spirit landed upon him like a dove. Okay, at that point in time, deity took control of Jesus. Okay? Um, You see this written about in the letter to the Colossians. You see it written about in 1 John. And by the 2nd century A.D., they gave it a name. And the name is called Gnosticism. Knowledge. And basically, what you see in this teaching, this understanding is, you have the human Jesus... Okay, and then deity came upon him in the person of the Holy Spirit. And it would seem that this was growing in the Corinthian church. Okay, and why do I say that? Because they're trying to separate the true Christ from the human Christ. Okay, and basically you end up with a spirit coming and going. Do you know what chapter 15 deals with of 1 Corinthians? The resurrection. The resurrection. The resurrection says the Holy Spirit couldn't have left. Because if this teaching is right, the Holy Spirit came upon him, okay, when he was baptized. Then when he was crucified, the Holy Spirit left him. If that's true, why was he resurrected? See the difference? Huge, huge difference. Makes a, it's kind of important. Why? That's what the whole 15th chapter deals with. If Paul even says, if he has not raised from the grave, we are to be. Yeah, we, we are in the weakest place of all. Our message is useless. Our message is useless. Jesus rose from the dead. And the Corinthians, some were having problems with this. Perhaps they were trying to mix the two together. There was the curse of the human Jesus. But there was that really cool part of the divine Jesus. You know, we can, we can curse that human side which hung on a tree, but we'll praise the divine side which saved us. Okay, let me show you another text, another reason. All right, chapter 15 deals with the resurrection. Now I want to take you to the conclusion of the letter. Chapter 16. All right, chapter 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 22. 
Okay? Now, I don't know what your translation says, but I'm going to give it to you in the original language. Okay? If anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ... Okay, now a lot of your text will say Lord. Okay, those are different translations that they got it out of, different Greek text. It should be Lord Jesus Christ. What does Paul say? You are to be an anathema. Okay, Jesus says, if you don't love Jesus, you be damned. Okay, well, but Terry, you're telling me that it says there, Lord Jesus Christ, and mine just says Lord. So, you know, they're embracing the deity part of him and the Jesus. Read verse 22, verse 23. What does it say? The grace of what? Be with you. What does verse 24 say? In Christ Jesus. So which one is it? It would be the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, King, Jesus, Savior of His people, Christ, anointed of God. Okay? If you do not love the King, Savior of His people, anointed of God, you're anathema. See how that flies back to what He's teaching in 12 to 3? He's saying, how in the world can you say Jesus is an anathema and call it the Spirit of God? You might say, curse Jesus, but Paul says, if you do not acknowledge him, curse you. Gosh, that seems harsh, doesn't it? I thought Jesus was love. Let me share with you something. This has crept into the church today. This is flourishing in the church today. As far as I can tell, nobody's even willing to say, hey, I don't think that's right. Okay? Here's how you'll hear it described. I came to Jesus. I walked an aisle. I had the whoo thing going on and you know, the hair stood up on the back of my neck. And I just, boy, I just felt saved. Okay? And then you, you went back out to living just like the lost people. You cheated on your wife, your husband. You did this, you did that, you did all the rest of it. And then he broke me, and the preacher came to me and says, it's now time for you to make him Lord. What did you just do? He's a cool Savior, but I have to do what to make Him Lord? Let me tell you something. You can't make Him Lord. He is Lord. He doesn't ask for your permission. He doesn't ask for your decision. His name is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Paul's getting at. You have to believe the whole thing. He isn't Savior. He is Lord. He is anointed of God. You love Jesus. I love Jesus. Oh, Jesus and me are like this. Yeah? 
what do you do with the church? I was told as an elder, I'm a hireling. I've been hired to oversee the flock of God that he purchased with his blood. And I have to be a steward to God, to the church. How can you say, I love Jesus, I just don't go to church? What'd you just do? You separated him. Jesus said, it is my body. It is the incarnation the second time. It will be the church, my called out ones. And yet, what have we done? Same thing, the Corinthians. We don't get up and say, Jesus is devoted to destruction. But let me ask you a question. Is he Lord? Are the things you want more important than the things he wants? Because when you do that, you're saying he's not important. He doesn't have the right to rule over me. He's anointed of God. You know what that means, right? All power, all authority, all judgment is through through Jesus. That's why when you look at the text in chapter 12 where he says there's a variety of gifts, one spirit. Which spirit would that be? Is that the spirit of God or the spirit of Jesus? Yes. What do we do? Well, I just don't have... Uh oh, If he's Lord, he is king. Right? He is Savior, Jesus. His will shall save his Ishua. Where we get Joshua from? Ishua. He will save his people. He did that. We like that. He is anointed. All power, all authority, all judgment, all condemnation comes through him. You don't separate him. He is king, savior, and all power. I read a book called Anointed Expository Preaching. Phenomenal book. Amazing book. Just, aha, one of my favorites. Okay? And I recommend it to everybody. But it's for preaching. Just read it. Okay? And here's the reason. It's the best book on preaching that I've ever read in my life. And I've read about every book that's ever been printed. And the reason is, is that he gets in the center of it and says, you know what? If God ain't in it, shut up. He says, I don't care how smart you are. I don't care how much you studied. I don't care what you've accomplished. If God isn't anointing it, shh. Why? Where's the power? Listen, if you guys really expect me to stand up here and help you walk holy, you're crazy. You can, I can't. I can't do it. I can't half the time get my kids to listen to me. But you know what? There's a time when the Holy Spirit will use this old foghorn and he will come through you with his words. And guess what? Your life changes. And get, guess who gets credit? God does. God does.
God doesn't use charismatic speakers. He has no use for them. Why? Who gets credit? They do. I can write a book, how to build a church, and how to, you know, whatever. That's the anointing of Jesus Christ. That is the Savior of Jesus Christ. That is the King, Jesus Christ. And I see too many in the church today who try to separate Jesus from the deity. Listen, if you have the Christ, the anointing, the Holy Spirit, leaving Jesus before the cross, then what is the big deal about his death? What is the big deal about his resurrection? Why do we celebrate Easter? They killed a carcass. That's why Paul writes chapter 15. Why? Because you can't separate him, he says. If Christ be not risen, then our faith is in vain, he says. You can't just have Jesus, the human, and Christ, the Lord. You can't have it. You can't separate him. You destroy the cross when you do that. You destroy the resurrection. And if you destroy the cross and the resurrection, you know what you just did? You just destroyed salvation. You just destroyed salvation. One last text. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. This is one of my favorite verses of all all Scripture. One of. Verse 3, chapter 11, 3 and 4. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, here he says, what does he say next? Your minds. Remember what he said? If you pray, pray in the Spirit and use your mind. If you sing, sing in the Spirit and use your mind. All right, so he says this here, that in his craftiness, your minds have been led astray from what? I love that. That fits me to a T. I have a doctorate in simple. Okay? It's simple. It's singular. It isn't complicated. It isn't, let me put 27 pieces together and I'll have what? He said, it is simple. It is so simple hanging on the cross. He said, it is finished. That is such a great refreshment. Why? You can't add to it. You can't take away from it. You can't even make it better. Why? It's simple. And he says, I'm afraid that you've been deceived and you've made it, the implication, you've made it complex. You've made it multifaceted. You have taken the Lord and Jesus and Christ and you have separated it. Instead of being singular and simple, it has now become some complicated thing that you believe that you have to be involved in. That's what he tells the Corinthian church. Okay? It's simple, he said. And I like that because he says this, For if one comes and preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you bear this beautifully? I consider myself to be inferior to 
most eminent apostles. And this is, then he goes into that long dissertation. Do you know what he's saying here? You're not saying, you're not defending the simplicity of the gospel. You're not defending the fact that he is king. He is savior. He is empowered and anointed by God. He says, how can you not defend that? I don't understand you. Have you received something? Are you deceived that you've moved out of it? There's a simplicity that is true about Christ. I like that. Why? We don't handle complex well. That, I believe, is the explanation why somebody could stand up in the church and say Jesus is devoted to destruction and say the Spirit of God has done it. That's insane. And yet I see lives live today who are doing the same thing. I like that Jesus dude. You know, Jesus is love. Okay, you know what? He's also king. You know what that means? He doesn't usually, a king doesn't run around and ask you, what do you think I should do? Okay, the king doesn't come around you and say, how much time do you have for me? But also he's anointed. He is Christ. That's, when you see the word Christ, that's the word Messiah in the Hebrew, Christ in the Greek, anointed. Okay, that means all of the power of God is in Christ. It's all there. He lacks nothing. So he has all powerful ruling savior. That's cool. I like that. Why? It's simple. Okay? I'm an heir to that. I have sonship. I have been adopted into the family. Why would I want to separate that? That's the best, excuse, the best explanation. And I can come out of holy writ to defend what the Corinthians were doing. How many things do you see going on in the church that you do not know whether it's biblical or not? It seems a little strange to you. But it's in the church, so it must be of God. Do you buy? Let me ask you this. Have you divided Jesus? Have you divided his humanity and his deity? And what does your life say? We were talking this morning in our Sunday school class. About, I, I, I told him, that I just love church. I love to be in church. I love, I mean, even we, we've run into, you know, the, the cranky Christians. You know which ones I'm talking about. Ones, yeah. I have to spend eternity with you? Well, I hope heaven's a big place <laughs> so I can only like bump into you every 10,000 years or something. Right? You, you guys know what I'm talking about. You've run into them. You just sit there and go, oh, my word. Okay. I would rather be around those in church than in the world. Listen, the world is only following Satan. That's all they follow. And I would rather deal with the crankies than what Satan has to offer. Okay, and yet I see people in the church today who are more comfortable in the world than they are in the church. And what you just said is, I'll take you a savior but you will not be my Lord. You know what you just did? Denied salvation. You just denied salvation. See how serious that is? See how quickly we jump through those first three verses? 
because I want to know what the variety of gifts are and uh, how, 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 how do I open them? Right? And he says, you know what? You don't have to worry about it if you separate Jesus from his humanity and his deity. He's 200%. I don't know how that works. Okay? I, you think that's weird? I bought me a, great, a thing full of grape juice that had 130% of vitamin C in it. How do you get 130% of vitamin C in something? Okay? So when I say Jesus is 100% God, 100% man, that's 200%, no problem. I have no problem. Let me ask you, is he separating? Is he separating? Are you using a supernatural ability in the body of Christ for the equipping of the saints? If not, step one is, have I separated him? You cannot separate. You know what? You can't separate the Bible from Jesus. You can't separate the church from Jesus. You can't separate the Bible from the church. And that he who would do it, Paul ends the letter says they are accursed. They are accursed. Let us beware of the importance of our spiritual gifts, the source of our spiritual gifts, and the test of our spiritual gifts. Test number one is the manifestation of Jesus Christ to that gift, his deity, his humanity, and his power. Let's pray. Father, we give you the praise for this time and for your word. Father, and I thank you for gifts. I thank you for enabling your people in the body of Christ to work in ways that are mind-boggling. Father, we just praise you for the time. We praise you for drawing us together. Lord, I just love you for your word. I thank you for your word. Father, I thank you for your precious bride, your church. Lord, what she means to me in such overwhelming ways. Father, may I never, ever take your word. May I never, ever take your church for granted. Father, may I just love your word and her with all that I am. Father, may we press on to the upward calling that Christ is. Father, let us be known as followers of Jesus Christ. To your praise and glory. Amen.